Years ago, publishers served as gatekeepers to the book world. It, you know, it used to be that if you wanted to publish a book and you didn't have literally tens of thousands of dollars to spend to hire a printer, then you needed to find a publisher, which meant that you needed to find an agent to represent your book. You needed to create a proposal. You needed to sell that proposal based on the strength of its merit to a publisher. And then your book would be out there in the world after an extensive period of reviews and edits by the publisher. When print-on-demand and self-publishing emerged, you know, 15 years ago, maybe slightly before, what ended up happening was that the gatekeeper was no longer present, which was very good because no one should have to have their art vetted by a marketer in order to release it into the world, right? This is a very, very good thing. But it also removed the requirements for refinement and quality that used to come along with being published. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of authors who do understand that and who are willing to go through a process to make their books. Welcome to the Revelation Project podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Revelation Project podcast. So most of you know that I'm a lover of books, and what many of you may not know is that I'm actually in the process of writing a book, and (laughs) I've discovered there's a massive difference between being a lover of books and being a writer of a book. Oh my goodness. And I'm so, so excited to introduce you to a returning guest today, who is Bryna Haynes, who is the founder of the Author Revolution, and she's also the CEO of World Changers Media. When the pandemic hit, Bryna had an opportunity to reinvent herself like so many of us, and I actually hired Bryna to be my book coach. So I love the fact that we're about to create this conversation because since I was a kid, my childhood dream has been to write a book. Now I've decided to make that plural, but... I have to start with the first, but because I'm enjoying the writing process so much, I've learned just how many powerful stories I actually have inside me to share. And I love what Brian is bringing to the table because what she's actually doing is helping hundreds of thought leaders, teachers, healers, and enlightened entrepreneurs to deliver their message and radically up-level their expert status through best-selling impact-driven books, which... I think is such a distinction. What you'll learn is that so many of the self-publishing availability out there has actually kind of driven down the quality of impact-driven books and storytelling. So I love that she's here today to really talk about what she's hoping to bring to the world with World Changers Media. So titles she also claims in her spare time include Fairy Queen Mama, Self-Reinvention Savant, Curtan Artist, Lego Castle Designer, Dragon Tamer, Luxury Travel Hacker, and Connoisseur of Kick-Ass Boots. Me too, sister. Hey, Bryna. 
Hi, it's so exciting to be here. Oh, I'm glad to have you back. And of course, for our listeners, those of you that have not listened to a previous episode with Bryna, we'll be sure to put those in the show notes. And we're back with Bryna today because Bryna has reinvented herself. It's something I can always count on you for because you're such a model for that in terms of just your ever-evolving you're somebody who really strikes me as just always having that growing edge in your profession, in your life. I love it so much. And of course, the work that you're doing right now is in the role of books and their role in changing the world. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's both super exciting and tremendously and constantly uncomfortable <laughs> to be to be constantly reinventing ourselves. And I'm convinced that adaptability is what's needed for us to be able to create the impact and the vision that each of us have. Well, and adaptability as it relates to this particular area and having an impact, I'd love you to say more about that because I think there's some way that you feel stepping into this, and and I want you to tell our listeners what this is, but that stepping into this is really where you want to make a big impact in a different way. Oh my goodness. So when we last spoke on the podcast, we recorded that, what, August of 2020? Is that correct? Yes. And um, I loved doing that interview with you. And while we did, during the time that we did that interview, I was definitely in the thick of the reinvention process and I had no idea what was coming I simply knew that I had to get real about where I was and who I'd been being. And, you know, I know a lot of our conversation revolved around that. Yeah, it sure did. What came up this year is that, you know, we we're told and we like to think that we can be entirely I'm not going to say selfish, but but self-focused when we are building our businesses, when we are building our contributions to the world. And I've had this big realization nearer the end of 2020 that that was actually in large part what I had been doing. I had been thinking, well, I want the kind of business where I do X, Y, Z, and I want the kind of business where I'm talking about this and I'm, I'm teaching this and I'm doing that. And what I realized, and this was one of those harsh, like, I call it the universal bitch slap (laughs) because it was like the universe just, the universe just really knocked me over the head with one of those proverbial two by fours is that I was building a business for me, meaning I was building a business to gratify myself and my ego and not building a business based on what the world was asking from me. Mm. And it wasn't that my business wasn't making a contribution. It wasn't that I wasn't like, you know, taking people's money and running away to Mexico or something, you know, it wasn't like that. But Whenever I came to a place where I had to make a decision, my metric was, how do I want this to look? How do I want this to feel? And I think so much of that for me was in response to being steeped in the service discussion for so many years about 
you know, as business owners, as light workers, as heart centered people, we're here to serve, 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 serve. And I was like, that sucks. This isn't downstairs at Down Abbey. You know, I want sovereignty. I want to be in charge of my life. And, and so I, I kind of went a little bit too far in the other direction because I wasn't really asking, how can I put my highest gifts and talents to their best use in a way that creates everything I want, but is still in the highest service to the people I care about, to the things that I care about, to the planet as a whole. And it was, that was a super humbling realization because I think, of course, we want all the things. Of course, we want to be in this space of abundance and recognition and validation and feeling like we're not, we're not turning service into servitude because mm. that's not fun and nobody wants that. But there's that give and take that happens when we recognize that the things that are so innate to who we are, the things that we take for granted, the things that are easy, the things are like, well, duh, right? Those are the gifts that the, that the world needs from us mm-hmm. because they're not always easy for everyone. And It seems so simple. How many times have we had this discussion as business owners? And yet it took until 2020 for this to really sink in for me. And what I recognized is that my greatest gifts have always been in the realm of ideas. Mm -hmm. And my greatest contribution has always been around ideas for impact. And so ideas on their own are not enough. They've got to have momentum. They've got to have movement and action behind them. And the ideas themselves need to go through a nurturing and evolutionary process in order to do their work in the world. Mm. And what I've, what I've done in my evolution is actually circle back to the space that I had been occupying before, uh, up until about 2018, which is books and publishing. And it's so funny because my target audience, my beloved clients have not changed. It's still all about impact and thought leadership and people who are, who are bringing their beautiful ideas and their personal energy of change to the world. And it's always been about thought leadership because, you know, the ideas are where everything starts. And it's just, it was coming back to the book space as a different version of me and being willing to own the gifts that I have in this space for bringing ideas to life and recognizing that even though I had left this space because it didn't feel like it contained the things I wanted, that everything I want is here in a big way. But I had to as my coach would say, own my value in this space in order for that service to not feel like it was draining me. And so, yeah, it was, it was big. It was really big. And I think so many of us are, we get, 
we kind of go between one extreme or the other. It's it's the question like, how can I serve the people and ideals that I care about? And then this, how do I build a business that that works for me? And we can have both. It's, as you say, the sacred and. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we have to own our value first. And until we do that, we're always going to feel like we're in the servitude space and not the service space. Or we're going to struggle to bring people into our ideas because we don't have that balance. Yeah, I mean, there's so much in what you just said. And of course, there's a lot there. And so I want to point to a couple of things. One is I'm really hearing that sovereignty and service are in integrated is what I should say with each other now, where it wasn't that way when you were in this industry before and that you... And and then the other piece, and we can kind of like come back to what I just said, but the other piece is this idea of stretching out into whatever it is that you were envisioning for yourself and that being actually that path having been necessary to have you actually get that sacred and. Absolutely, 100%. When I first left my writing role, it was, I used to say, you know, I felt like I was, I had created a job where I was stage manager and I've never been a backstage kind of person. And that was the, the misalignment for me is that I had placed myself behind the scenes, not owning the value of what I was creating, not owning my gifts and talents And feeling like I was constantly waiting my turn Mm -hmm. to step into the spotlight and that turn never came. And so I kind of had to blow it all up and step away for a while and create something where my ideas were a central focus and where I was able to teach and, and lead and create from that space. But I had left this whole other part of me that works from a visionary standpoint with big ideas and helps to grow them and nurture them and bring them to life. Like that wasn't being fully honored in that other space. Yeah. And there's that, and I know you didn't use this terminology, but it's what I call like your unique genius, which feels really easy to you, but it it feels so easy to you that it's almost like, duh, like you said that before. And the truth, I figured that out for myself. Like there's a way that we, it comes so easy for us that it's so easy to take for granted that it, that is such a gift to others, that that is such a valuable asset for others. And it's that oracle of the obvious for us that we don't even get that it's, that it's miraculous, that it's magical, that it's that ingredient for others that amplifies their ideas, their brilliance. And I love, you know, and I'm bringing this piece in because it's it's been such a part of my dialogue lately with the human design, is that we were not necessarily meant to do our independent work in the world. We're actually puzzle pieces, and so many of us are meant to collaborate, are meant to really work in service to amplifying each other's work in this way. And what I'm hearing you say too is that you get to be center stage and 
owning and claiming your brilliance in a way that you hadn't seen it before and have it really be in service to the world now in a way that also makes you feel like you are also shining your brightest light. And I thought for so much of my life, I thought that what my desire to be an initiator of impact was simply an ego trip. And well, why, why should you occupy that space? You know, you're no better than anybody else. What's wrong with you? Other people are doing other things. They're better than you, blah, blah, blah. Like those whole narratives that we grow up with and that we use to make ourselves smaller. It was actually in part my journey learning about human design that made me realize like, oh no, like that's actually, I'm built that way. Mm -hmm. I'm built to initiate. I'm a manifester in human design. And as a pure manifester, I'm not meant to be doing, to be working in a way that has me doing anything other than putting power and energy behind initiation. Mm. And so coming back into my previous work around books and publishing and the, the growth and caretaking of ideas from that perspective has been awesome because it's like, you know, my job is to, I'm like the big bang in the big bang theory, right? Like I'm going to start this up. I'm going to get this going. I'm going to help this expand to the point where it can actually occupy the space and hold the energy that it needs to hold. And then like, I'm done. I'm on to the next thing. And I, I don't need to modify that approach in order to fit into someone else's model of of work or how to work or how to be in work or anything like that. And, and that learning more about my human design actually helped me take back that ownership of my expertise in this area. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, oh, I, I wasn't crazy. I wasn't just making myself more important in my head or like trying to be something I wasn't. I've been this all along. And all I need to do now is acknowledge it and try to work with it instead of against it. I love that. It, it is. It's very validating. It's like a. It's like that perspective that you're just like, oh my gosh, like that's a revelation, right? It just gives you, and it's expansive, and it opens it all up, and you get to re-inhabit this way of being that is from such a different place, and and create that impact. So, so yay for you. And I want to now shift into helping our listeners really kind of understand this role of books in changing the world and your vision around that. Absolutely. Well, you know, I have a lot to say about this, but I want to, I want to kind of come back to the essence of what books are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we think about it, other than you know, person-to-person -person oral transmission of story, of information, of history. Books are the oldest and best format for giving ideas immortality. And I feel like I have maybe like a slightly unhealthy attachment to books in that. Really? Growing up, I was I was very much a bookworm. <laughs> You're showing me your bookcase right now, right? Yes. 
I was very much a bookworm. I spent a lot of time, like my favorite thing to do. I didn't want to go play soccer. I didn't want to run around with other kids. I would ask my parents to take me to the library so I could research. My favorite topics were sharks, dinosaurs, and narcotics. (laughs) I don't know why. I was like fascinated by mind-altering substances. It's so perfect, though. And, you know, here's at five years old, here I am, like, browsing the aisles about, like, you know, books about LSD and, you know, all the, all the things, opening consciousness. But books have always been the primary source for me for expansion of my understanding of any subject. You know, lately I've been loving audiobooks and podcasts because I have so little time when I don't have little people crawling on me to actually read a book. So I listen to them instead. But the format remains to me the best way to create an introduction to, an unpacking of, and an up leveling of understanding of any subject, any concept, any idea. And I think this actually goes for all books. I mean, I learned more about human relationships from reading fiction than I ever did from actual human interaction up until I was about 22 years old. And, you know, we transmit our understanding of the world through writing and through books. And I'm on a mission to bring that back to books in the self and hybrid publishing world. Because what I'm seeing a lot of is books, medium of books being co-opted as lead generation tools. And this makes me sad because if someone's going to invest anywhere between five and 15 hours to read this thing that you've written, one would hope that there would be a gift for them in that and not a 150 page sales letter or (laughs) a little information teaser in order to sell them into your into a product. Now, I'm not saying that a beautifully written book with all of the necessary ingredients to make it transformational is not the best possible tool for your business because it is. But I think that there's a difference between gifting the heart of your thought leadership through a book and selling directly through a book. I think that there are many different channels that we can use to introduce people to our ideas. But because the book format, it it has such a high expectation associated with it, but it also is an investment of time and energy by your reader, that that should really be a gift from your genius to their up-leveling. I mean, there's, again, there's so much here. And what I... What I'm recognizing that I'm resonating with is how disappointed I am because I am such a book lover when I'm attracted to a book and I purchase a book only to find out that it's actually a a glorified lead generation tool. And there's something that feels very Almost like, and I was going to circle back and ask you what co-opted means. I don't often run into words that I don't understand, but I get excited when I've, when I'm like, oh, a new word. What does co-opted mean? And and I'm making it, I'm making up that it means undermining in some way. I don't even know if that's related, but tell me what you, what co-opted means to you. Yeah, you had it exactly right. So 
to me, it seems like, I mean, believe me, I love sales. I never used to, but I do. I love when we can get together and create an exchange for impact, right? When I speak about the co-opting of the book space by marketing, what I really mean is that I feel like the format has been hijacked Mm. and turned into something that it was never intended to be in order to create the desired result. And I think that in so many formats, this has worked so beautifully. Video as a lead generation tool, hell yeah. Uh, Free downloads as a a lead generation tool, absolutely. Webinars, I mean, you name it. There are so many formats that work so beautifully. But I think, to me, anyway, and I know that a lot of people have very different opinions on this. So I'm just going to just preface this with this is my opinion only and you don't have to agree with it. That because books require a different level of commitment from their readers, there is a higher expectation associated with them. And I prefer for myself, for my own reading, and so many of the people I speak to, when they settle down, when they cocoon with a book, they are entering into a contract with the author that says, you are giving me something that I am craving, whether it's a human experience through a beautiful literary novel, whether it's literally being transported out of this world, you know, in my free time, basically all I read is sci-fi fantasy. So like that's escapism at its finest, or whether it's a nonfiction book where you're promising a learning curve for someone. There's an agreement there. I'm going to invest my time in being with this thing that you have created. And in return, I want you to give me this, this, this outcome that you've promised. And what's happening in the self-publishing world in particular, all right, so let me back up a second. Years ago, publishers served as gatekeepers to the book world. It, you know, it used to be that if you wanted to publish a book and you didn't have literally tens of thousands of dollars to spend to hire a printer, then you needed to find a publisher, which meant that you needed to find an agent to represent your book. You needed to create a proposal. You needed to sell that proposal based on the strength of its merit to a publisher. And then your book would be out there in the world after an extensive period of reviews and edits by the publisher. When print-on-demand and self-publishing emerged, you know, 15 years ago, maybe slightly before, what ended up happening was that the gatekeeper was no longer present, which was very good because no one should have to have their art vetted by a marketer in order to release it into the world, right? This is a very, very good thing. But it also removed the requirements for refinement and quality that used to come along with being published. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of authors who do understand that and who are willing to go through a process to make their books exactly as, you know, it's like you're you're taking like a lump of clay, which is all of your first draft and your ideas, and you're shaping it into this beautiful piece of pottery, and then you're painting it and you're glazing it and you're doing all the things. And that to me is the the editing and and development process. But there's also a, a segment 
of people in the book world who are like, it's still the same clay. You don't need to make it pretty before you put it on the market. Just, you know, whatever you've got written, just, you know, put it on Amazon and hit publish. And this is such a huge disservice to me, not only to the authors, but to their ideas. Mm -hmm. Because it is much easier for a reader to cocoon with your idea when it's been molded in a way that they can understand. If they open your book and it's like a lump of clay, they're like, I could dig through this and probably find some good stuff. But do I really want to get my hands that dirty? Do I really want, I mean, they're making more work for me now. Now I don't, I don't even have to just enjoy this thing created out of clay. I have to actually shape it myself. And so a lot of authors, I think, without knowing it, are actually being hurt by this push to publish this idea that everybody needs a book right now. The idea that no matter what stage of your idea formation or your business or, uh, or your personal evolution you're at, your book needs to be done now and it needs to be out there. I don't think that's true. I agree that everybody has a book in them, but it emerges in its own time and it doesn't have to be right now. Mm-hmm. In fact, it may be detrimental if you force it into being. So I feel like I'm veering off track here. Well, you're, you're not, you're actually not. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I could geek out with you for hours because I want to go back to what you said first about sales, because I too love sales. And we know that my other, (laughs) my other persona is marketing. And there's this purity that I really appreciate both in my books and in my marketing, a transparency an authenticity. And when I talk about purity, you know, what I mean is that it's there's a way that I know that when I am choosing a book, that the relationship, my relationship then to that book to that piece of work is that author is forever altered. I have developed a relationship with that piece. It's now a part of me. And it is it en- enriches me, it enlivens me. It like for those of you out there that also can walk through a bookstore and basically get an orgasm by, you know, like putting your fingers along the bindings. I mean, I can like just totally go weird on you over here because I am that person, right? Like you could drop like you at your f- at five years old, like to me to be in a room of books is just like, I get literally dizzy because I'm so in love with all of it. The aesthetic, the feeling, the the possibilities, and the, the ability to access information like that. Okay, so now I'm going to put that aside for a minute because it's like, oh yeah, I could geek out forever. And I want to go back to what you said about just where... I, as a reader, have now started to become suspicious, unfortunately, and cynical because those two worlds of sales and also what I want to say, undermining or sleazy, and, and that is not necessarily the intention, but as the reader, I feel a little bit slimed when I have invested feeling it's it's a bait and switch for me it's because that is a medium 
that I feel like I have a pure relationship with and I and and now you've pornified it. Okay? You've objectified it and you've made it dirty. And I have no and like where these sexual innuendos have come from, I have no idea. I have no idea, but I'm like like I'm kind of in awe actually of how I just went from orgasm to pornography about books. Okay. Yes. Well, first of all, I love you. <laughs> You're my people. <laughs> there, there is a reason why we're friends, and this is just one of the many facets of that diamond. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's the bait and switch. It's the expectation. And I think that that unmet expectation happens in two ways. One is when the book is you know, a, an extended sales document with no actionable information. And it's sad to me how often I see this and how often I see it encouraged. But the other piece is the DIY factor. And I have always, I want to preface this with the fact that I have always been the DIY girl. No matter what I have ever needed to learn or do or know in my business, I, you know, I am committed to learn it on my own. I only started working with coaches after I'd been in business for 10 years. I don't know how I waited that long. That was dumb. Don't do that. But it's been a case of if there's a problem to be solved, I'm going to learn how to do it. I needed a website. I learned how to design websites. You know, it's like that kind of thing. So I have no issue whatsoever with people DIYing their books. But the learning curve for that is intense and it is steep. And I think a lot of people simply don't know what they don't know. And the result is that they put their half molded piece of clay. It's not a cup yet. It's not a vase. It's, it's not a bowl. It's halfway there. And because they don't know what they don't know, they put that shapeless mass out there. And when someone engages with that, they will find some value because they'll see the golden nuggets that are embedded in there, but they will not get the full picture. They will not get the full value and they will feel cheated. Yeah, because what just came in actually is like, oh, yeah, that's what my dad meant by half-assed. Half-assed, exactly. Half-assed. But the thing is, is if you don't know what half-assed is, how could you possibly be expected to have a full-ass standard? Okay, got it. Yeah, that's a great point. Right? And so and so there's what's what's happening in this push for everyone to have a book is that what what does full ass mean and what does it entail? It's not being talked about. And I intend to change that, as you can probably tell. And so what's so talk about that vision too, because I want to make sure, you know, that that our listeners are also clear and that I'm clear. Absolutely. So my goal is that everyone that I work with to bring their book to life create something that is truly its best self. Okay. That is truly the fullest expression of what it can become, that every idea is brought to fruition in a way that fully encapsulates the vision and the energy of the author. 
And I want to also educate people about what makes a book great. How can you turn your ideas and, and, and transfer them into this medium in a way that serves not just your audience, but also you? Because what's happening with authors putting out, you know, not knowing what they don't know and putting these books out there with the best of intentions is that they're actually harming their business and their expert status because they didn't know what they didn't know. And this thing that I put out there was not complete. The ideas weren't fully evolved. It wasn't organized properly, whatever, whatever it is. And when, when someone like you or me or their ideal reader curls up in their reading nook with that book and they don't get what they were expecting, you know, for, for various reasons, then what does that do to the relationship? And so right now, what we're talking about basically, though, is like quality and standards, Quality and standards. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It is 100% possible for a self-published or hybrid published author to create a book that is on par with anything the big five publishers put out. But it is a process and it can't be done in a weekend. Okay. Yes. So sorry. Sorry about it. (laughs) And it requires assistance. Like you were saying, we're not all meant to be doing all the things all the time. We're meant to be in these symbiotic relationships. And so what I find is that for many of my authors, they are at the top of their game in their industry. They are world changers. They are out there making an impact, changing people's lives, making a difference. They may not be career writers, And that does not mean that they shouldn't have a book, but it does mean that they need help with that book or they can DIY it by learning that skill set. but that might not be a great use of their time, right? Yeah. But it will damage their brand, their reputation, their relationship with their readers if they don't enlist the help necessary to make the book its best self. And so that's really the position that I'm taking in the market is that all of my wonderful clients with their world-changing ideas and their, their desire for impact and their desire to make global change, all I'm doing is putting my hands on that lump of clay and saying, let me help you shape this. Okay. Yeah. Because so what, so, and, and for our uh, listeners, I also want to be super transparent seeing as we know that's a value of mine and let you know that I am working with Bryna in this way. I've told you that I'm writing a book and I had chosen Bryna as my developmental editor, my world shaper. And and so I just I want to talk about this personally for a minute because again, from my perspective, this is something that's been years and years in the making. You know, since I was a little girl, I've wanted to write a book. It's a dream of mine. And and of course, I, in the last, I would say, five years, that sense of urgency or that 
really that that desire continued to kind of deepen and it's never really gone away. You know how some things it's like you want to do it, you want to do it, but then it's like, nah, you know, it just kind of changed. I didn't want to do it anymore. That desire has remained very, very consistent for me. And part of it for me is this like, now it's time, like it feels time. And I don't know if time means three months, six months, nine months, two years, but it's time that there's an actual intention around it. There's a partnership around it. I know that you're going to guide me, help me shape that piece of clay. And in a lot of ways, I know that I can write and I know that I can write well. And I am not a career book writer. I am not a, and I can write well on a good day. There are days where it really does kind of look like a lump of clay. And I need that person. And I also don't have that gift of being able to go back over my work and kind of refine in that way. And so to be able to to really work with somebody that can amplify, refine, clarify my ideas, that excites the hell out of me. Because it really, for me, is as somebody who holds the value of wanting to deliver my best work to the world, of knowing that I have something that is a gem in a piece of coal or a piece of clay, that there is a gem in there, but that I have the opportunity to, to really work with somebody that can help me make it into that. That's what we're talking about. So I have to say, I am so freaking excited for your book. (laughs) Thank you. It is going to be amazing. And you are an amazing writer. And none of us, myself included, are capable of looking at our own writing with an objective eye. Mm -hmm. You know, even Stephen King, even Glennon Doyle, even all of the writers we idolize, they have editors. Yeah. And they work with their editors because when we're too close to it, we just can't see it. Mm -mm. And so... I, I'm just, I'm over the moon to be able to partner with you in this. And uh, if, if you're listening, you know, like make a little note in the back of your head, like keep my eye out for Monica's book because it's going to be incredible. Thank you. And you are in so many ways my ideal client because you have this incredible vision and this incredible piercing insight into your subject matter. And it's, it's not my job to create that for you. It's not my job to, to even, you know, to help you necessarily identify that. It's simply, again, to help you refine it in this particular format. And that is so much fun for me because I get to have my hands and my brain immersed in this incredible world-changing idea. And I get to I get to help again just refine those edges, you know, bring it into a particular shape and it's it's just so it's just so exciting. It's so 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 exciting. And you know, the the book process is something I don't think anybody can do alone. At least not at its highest and fullest expression. When I even when I ghostwrite books, uh, and I I do ghostwrite quite frequently, I have an editor who checks my work because of exactly that. Like I'm I'm too close to it. I can't see it clearly. I write well on a good day. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, we, we all have that, right? I also want to point to the fact that there's, because I want to also admit that, and for our listeners, like, like, 
to write, you know, writing from my heart. I, I'll tell you, I was an English major, but I, I, I've, I'm still to this day, I'm horrible with grammar. I'm horrible with grammar rules. I'm horrible with spelling. Like these are what spell check is for. This is what editors are for. Like that, that, so I love too that, you know, you keep pointing to this full permission to collaborate, to find your people to help you bring this work into the world. Because for those of you out there, listening who have also heard some of the other interviews, we talk a lot about the fact that everybody has a story in them. But more importantly, what I often point to is the fact that if we don't start telling her story, we are in big trouble. And I have to put my money where my mouth is there and tell my story, her story, and be able to do that in a way that confronts all of my fears about how I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not a great writer or a great write. Like, so I can, I'm finding my way with all of this. But I guess what I want to say out there is that if that idea has lived in your heart, like what we're talking about, having that dream from being a little girl up until now, or even if that is a newly planted seed in your heart where you never thought necessarily that you might have a story, you and now you're starting to see that you do, there's so much opportunity. And I want to say, like, step up and in and let's hear your herstory because this is what the world needs now. You know, as the Sophia century, we're 21 years in. What we really want to be doing now is getting our stories out there, ladies, getting our stories out there, self-approving of our stories, bringing our stories, even when we may think there's not a story and we tell a story and people are like, oh my God, you have a story to tell. We don't even know what we don't know about the stories that exist inside of ourselves. So, I mean, there's all of this in this episode, of course, coming out as I'm animatedly talking about something that I'm deeply passionate about. But this is the work also, Bryna, that I see you really focused in on and honing in on is really helping women in particular to bring their stories to life. Absolutely. And I think there's a point of clarity here too. I am focused on women's stories in many ways. I do work with men. Uh, Most of my clients are women, but I'm also focused on women's stories in a slightly different way. Great. Tell me. What I don't do personally, and I know that other people do beautifully, is story for story's sake. What I do is story for impact. And so most of the time when I'm working with clients, It's treating their stories, whether it's their client stories or their lived experience or, you know, or a mixture of the two, treating their stories as teaching tools in order to further their reader's understanding of the impact, the change, the up level of understanding that they're wishing to create. So story for story's sake isn't actually something I do often although I think that it's hugely necessary. My focus, like I said, has always been on impact. And so, although I read nothing but fiction in my spare time, I feel like my skills are best dedicated to, it's, it's a way, there's a way of being with our stories 
that as they are transmitted can help other people reach the conclusions and the understandings that we are trying to convey. And there's a real art to doing this. And I would say if I have a specialty, that's probably it. I'm over here kind of gloating. And I swear to God, I didn't plan on gloating. Because it's revelationary writing. It's it's like this idea of the reader getting an impact, a revelation from the piece about something that actually enhances their understanding of something, their life. Yes? Exactly. And again, you know, story for the sake of story, I think is incredible and hugely necessary. And there is a relational aspect that is so important to people that simply comes from sharing stories. So if you have a story, but you don't feel like you're quite there with what you want to teach, don't let that stop you. Mm -hmm. Right? I just want to say that to everyone who's listening. Don't let that stop you. And why? And why? Well, because the sharing is incredibly important to create, to to just get things out in the open, to create mutual validation, to feel seen, right? All of these things are important and necessary. And for some people, that may be exactly what they need to do in order to move into their thought leadership, to understand that their story has an impact on other people, right? So there's a whole process there. The intersection I stand at is expertise and story. And so when I work with people, they're coming from a place of, I have these big ideas. These are the gifts that I want to give to the world. This is the impact I want to make. Now, how can we tailor this whole cloth of my story in order to fully support and deepen that idea structure? Got it. Right. So it's different. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is the absolute best way to teach because humans learn best through story. We need to have an emotional equivalency to the information that we are learning in order for that information to feel relevant and ultimately stick. Right. And so it's not enough to just convey information. And it's not enough to just tell the story. The story needs to give us input about what is possible when we assimilate and utilize this information. So you see this done extremely well in all of your favorite nonfiction books. There's a story, there's a discussion, and there's an instruction. And these may happen, you know, in various ratios, but Every single book that you like, this book changed my life. Every single book that's changed your life has those things Mm -hmm. in differing degrees. Story alone doesn't tell you what to do with what you've learned. Information alone doesn't have emotional significance and relevance. And so this is the space that I like to play in is really at that crossroads. And how can we make your story mean something in the context of your mission. I love that. I love that. So Bryna, what would you say you are most excited about in terms of not only that crosswords that you were just ref- crossroads that you were just referring to, but also where we're at in our human evolution? 
Well, I think that 2020 was a big peeling back of some very old and musty and ratty curtains, right? It's like, you know, it's like we we walked into this room in our house and we're like, holy crap, well, that needs to go. And um, And we've torn back all of these layers. And now people are asking, I've heard the stories. I've seen the information. I know all of this matters, but what do I do with it? What is the new way of being that I am going to adopt as a result of these stories and this information? Mm -hmm. And that's where I want to play. And the authors in the books that I work with are all about not only sharing new perspectives, new information, new ways of thinking and being and working in the world, but also making those stories and that information relevant to everyone who picks up their book. And because books are such a wonderful way to place information in the hands of the masses, we can touch so many more people that way than we would be able to really in any other format. And, you know, one might argue that more people are watching your videos on social media than are reading your book. And maybe that's true. But the depth and the uh, the breadth of the teaching happens in the book. So I'm excited because all of the ideas that the authors I'm working with are bringing forth into the world are world changing ideas. And that's why I called my new imprint World Changers Media because this is really what this is about. This is how we change the world. Every single movement, every single action, every single new way of being starts with an idea. And we're really the the impact points and the place from which the ripple spreads. Well, for those of you who've tuned in today, I just want to let you know that we will have all of Bryna's links in the show notes. And of course, we'll make sure you know where to follow her on social media. And Bryna, this has just been a total honor. I love that note that we just that you just landed. It was literally like watching a gymnast just land the the whatever it is, right? The triple mount or whatever. It's just like, dang, I'm just gonna end it right there. So <laughs> so thank you. I mean, just just this whole thing has just been so incredible. And I'm feeling so energized by our discussion. And your work is just so inspiring. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest today. Thank you so much. And of course, I look forward to our ongoing collaboration. And for our listeners, of course, more to be revealed. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Monica. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.